This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. And I'll be reading Jesus' words from John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in, the name, in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pardon the language, this is a quote. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a blank and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished in squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? 
Lin-Manuel Miranda's hip-hop musical masterpiece, Hamilton, resurrected this forgotten founding father of the United States of America. About seven minutes in, there's a line where Hamilton lands a philosophical blow to the man who would eventually shoot him down. Aaron Burr, sir. With the revolution imminent, Hamilton asks, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what are you fall for? If you stand for nothing, Burr, what are you fall for? Burr is the antagonist, and he is presented as one who eventually falls, both politically and personally, by standing for nothing. Well, let me pose this question to us. What is it that you stand for? What is it that you wake up to each morning? What is the underlying message or philosophy or science that you seek to build your life upon? Well, today's sermon in Psalm 1 calls us to have Holy Scripture as the very ground on which we stand and fix ourselves upon and build our lives. It is to be the very wellspring of our lives, nourishing us, transforming us, and indeed, this, it promises, is what true blessings is like. This is where true happiness is found. Well, we, we, we all want to experience blessedness and happiness. Point one of the sermon is that the blessed person does not. We want to experience blessedness, and, and this psalm begins with that the blessed person is. Now, I'll stop there. What would you say? What would our world say? Blessed is the person with good health, maybe lots of money. Well, if social media and Instagram is any indication, we, we do crave this experience. The 700 million hashtag blessed or hashtag happy reveal to us what the blessed or happy life is like. If you have a look, there's photos of friends and families, people all dressed up, new cars, fried chicken, there's even a duck. These hashtags are an internet sensation to proclaim the great things that one has going for them. And it's for the entire world to see. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry, you're not missing out. You see, we want to be happy, don't we? Well, what does the blessed person, uh, what, what is it that characterizes them according to the Bible? In verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now it seems that it's saying that the blessed person is someone who does not do certain things. Their lifestyle, their manner, their conduct is characterized by not doing things. How depressing. How restrictive. Oh, so you're a Christian. You don't do that kind of thing, do you? But isn't this the pattern that we see throughout Scripture? Early this year, we went through the Ten Commandments. You, you'll notice that they all begin with, you shall not, almost all of them. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the blessed person does not live in a certain way, in a pattern that accords with who are the three lifestyles that's depicted here, the wicked, the sinners, and mockers. There's a certain pattern, a lifestyle, that the blessed person ought not mimic. A behaviour, in fact, that goes against God's very instruction. It seems to me that this description that we see in verse 1 is a picture of what the Bible calls repentance. That is, turning away from a life following wickedness, doing a 180 and walking in a new direction, living instead a life following the ways of God. There's a new loyalty here. Indeed, this is one of the first things that Jesus says in his gospel, in the gospel of Mark, where he says, repent and believe the good news. You see, the blessed person does not do certain things. Well, what is it that they do? How is he or she portrayed now in this psalm? They're portrayed positively. What is it that they do? Which brings me to point two, the blessed person and the word of God. We've heard the blessed person doesn't do certain things. What do they do in verse two? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The blessed person finds their delight in the law of the Lord or instruction of the Lord. It seems like an odd thing to say, don't you think? I don't know many lawyers who would find their delight in reading law, family law, taxation law. I mean, maybe there are, but I take it that the law here refers to the Old Testament law, the law of the Lord. And I don't know if you've tried reading them recently. The book of Deuteronomy is probably not the most exciting part of the Bible, unless you're an Old Testament scholar. But of course, the phrase, the law of the Lord, can be a way of speaking of the whole of the scriptures. And so this blessed person is also someone who, it says, meditates on God's law day and night, all the time. That's a pretty high bar, don't you think? Doesn't this person need to work, cook, eat, sleep? How can they just meditate on the scriptures all day? You may say, I, 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 find, I struggle to find the time just to do it in the morning. And I get it, as life just crowds it out. Is this even realistic? Augustine in the fourth century wrote, As for myself, I meditate on the law of God, if not day and night, at least during the few moments of time that I can. And lest my meditations escape from through, through forgetfulness, I hold on to them by my pen. And so he lowers the bar a little bit for us. And he says, I'm confident that God in his mercy will make me remain steadfast in all the truths that I regard as certain. And so he meditates on God's law. And so is the Christian. But what is meditation? It can mean different things in different contexts. In our context, it can refer to the rituals characterized by many Eastern religions, or perhaps it's the New Age spiritualist variety, or even the popular practice of mindfulness. But the meditation here in Psalm 1 focuses on a particular content. 
It's not about emptying the mind or being in the moment. It's about focusing our minds on the content of Scripture. It's about reading, learning, seeking instruction, and trusting these words to memory so that the words of God so fill your mind that you bring them with you to any and every situation. You're meditating on them. They are with you through the day. They inform the way you speak, the way you type, the way you act. They, they so inform every decision that you make. And sometimes you don't even know it. Like con- uh, even, even consciously think of it because it's so reflexive. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer urges us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Holy Scriptures. If I were to use a metaphor, we are to be like a cow. Now, cows have four stomachs. Well, technically, they have one stomach and four chambers. Grass and other cow food can be hard to break down and digest. So there needs to be a process of chewing and breaking down the food in the stomach. And one of these steps involve bringing up the stomach contents back into the mouth again so that the cow can chew on it. And that's where we get the phrase to chew the cud. A Christian is likewise to chew the cud, to inwardly digest the scripture, not just to read it and forget it or listen to a sermon on a Sunday and never think about it again. No, we are to keep digesting the scriptures. It is our very diet. You might not be able to understand everything that you read, but if I'm engaged with the word of God, if I keep inquiring, discussing, reflecting, investigating, and most importantly, praying to the one who teaches us by his word, this is the picture of true blessedness. Now, thankfully, I didn't write Psalm 1, otherwise you would have this metaphor of a cow's digestive system. Instead, the psalmist paints us a picture of a beautiful tree. Which brings me to point three. The blessed person is rooted to the spring of life. The person's been described negatively. They've been described positively. Now they're described metaphorically. Verse 3, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This beautiful imagery of a tree is at the center of this psalm. And we know that trees are important for oxygen, don't we? But in ancient Israel, this tree was Symbolic of divine blessing. So, for example, the temple in Jerusalem, its walls were lined with, were carved with trees. And in Genesis, we get this picture of the tree of life and, 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 and of paradise in the Garden of Eden. But following the logic of the psalm, we are to identify ourselves with this tree. We are to be the tree. But more than that, for that's not enough. We are to be the tree planted by streams of water. This metaphor of the streams of water depict 
God's instruction, his, his holy scriptures, his life-giving and sustaining word. And so, like a tree that constantly, quietly, steadily, invisibly receives its strength and life from its roots, so God's word is a steady source of nourishment and life for the people of God. Notice the streams is also in plural. It's not just one stream which might dry up in times of drought, but there's a constant, rich riverbed of streams. This tree will not dry up. It is constantly nourished from its source. Do you find yourself rooted to God's life-sustaining word? Or are you feeling parched? I often find that when I go through seasons of feeling flat, when my faith in, in God feels weak or distant, it's quite often the case it's because I've neglected my daily quiet times, my Bible reading and prayer. I've neglected the spring of life. There's no way around this simple discipline, no shortcut. This is something I must spend time doing. And in fact, it is good for me to know my creator intimately. It's like spending time in the company of a lover or a good friend. It's refreshing, a delight. It's a necessity as well. It's my daily medicine. Or as Tim Keller describes and gives us an illustration, Tim Keller's dying of pancreatic cancer. He's a Presbyterian minister in America, and in his book on prayer, he stresses the importance of daily prayer and Bible reading. He uses this illustration. If a doctor said you had a fatal condition, and unless you take this medicine every night from 11 to 11.15, and unless you swallow these pills, you'll be dead by morning, you would never miss the medicine. You would never say, I was too tired. You would never say, I didn't get to it, or I was watching a movie and I didn't get time. You would never do that. Anything that you know you have to do, you do. And so how much more is it with the word of God for the people of God? It's why this year we focused on going deeper in the faith by going deeper in the word at St. Mark's. It's not just some idea that we've plucked out of the air. It goes to the very heart of what it means to live as a Christian. Point four. The blessed person is formed by the word of God. So this tree is formed by the life-sustaining water, the word of God. It produces its fruit in season. It's healthy. The leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. This Christian is one who is being transformed and shaped by God's word. They have a changed character, stability, faithfulness that's promised to those who make scripture the core of their lives. Head knowledge is not the goal. You see, our meditation on God's word, it's not merely an intellectual discipline because it turns as well on moral and spiritual bearings. We might not like that idea because so often we want to be independent, don't we? Autonomous, live and do as we feel is a catch cry. But the road of our own choosing leads to our own destruction, as this psalm 
shows us in the end. You see, for the people of God, it can be entirely possible to read the Bible as a purely academic exercise. It's possible to read the Bible without knowing the God who speaks to us through it. It's possible to read the Bible without it changing the way you live, think, and feel. The aim of the Christian is not to be a master of Scripture, but to be mastered by it. A Christian is to stop relying on themselves. It's a self-surrender. Not my will, O Lord, but yours be done. The Christian is to find themselves utterly dependent on God and his grace, his life-sustaining word. And so I seek to build my life, entire life, devoted to him, formed by his word. As 2 Timothy 3.16 describes this foundational, formational role of scripture, it says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now you also notice may notice there's an interesting phrase in the psalm that says that whatever they do prospers. I'd take it not to mean a prosperity gospel of a kind, that when you're a Christian and you study his word, that life will go well for you. That's not what it's saying, that you will receive rich material blessings. No, I take it to be more a prosperous life for the things of God. In our second reading, Jesus also used an organic metaphor where he describes himself as the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes on to say, this is a fruit that will last. You see, the prosperity and fruit that you will bear will be a life that is transformed by the word of God, of life and love and faith and the fruit, and this is a fruit that will last. So how can we, as God's people, get into the habit of building this into our lives? A popular productivity and self-help book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. You may have heard of it. And he talks about the power of habits. One of his most insightful work here is on, the, on, on habits and identity. And so he wants to kind of give this, well, there's this illustration of, imagine if you want to get into running. Imagine you want to get into running for the city to surf and you say, that's my goal. I'm going to run the city of surf. And many have done that, of course. So you set that as a goal. But he says that unless you, have, you set up a system or habits to train for it, you will not see much progress. Moreover, once you finish the city to, city to surf, you've achieved your goal. You'll probably stop running. You'll lose all motivation. So he says, actually, forget about goals. Focus on systems instead. He argues that as well. What is your identity? You need to find, find and figure out your identity. That is, you need to say... If you are a runner, if that's your identity, well, what does a runner do? A runner runs. And so when you finish the city to surf, you keep running because your identity is a runner. And a runner runs. 
So Clear says your habits as well are how you embody your identity. Your habits shape your identity. Your identity as well shapes your habits. And so if, you, if we were to kind of use some of his insights, what about your identity? Well, if you're a Christian, what does a Christian do? This psalm shows us that a Christian spends time rooted in God's word. That's a habit. And they have their wills and their lives transformed by Holy Scripture to live for God. This is the life and habit of a Christian. And their habits reflect it. And when you do that, you will be stable in a flood of temporality, which is my fifth point. Stable in a flood of temporality. The wicked here are described as like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, this is a farming metaphor. What the harvester will do at harvest time is that they, they get the grain and they toss it up in the air and they beat it on the ground and they toss it in the air and they beat it on the ground and they repeat that over and over again. And this process separates the grain, which is much heavier, the head of grain, which falls to the ground, and the lighter chaff, which eventually gets separated and, and is blown away with the wind. The chaff, which is, uh, is, is here depicting, uh, sorry, unlike the righteous and wicked who are stable as a tree, the wicked are like chaff that's blown away. That's what this is saying. I posed a question at the beginning, and, 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 it, and it was, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? And it can be answered like this as well. Anything and everything. Because if you don't stand on anything, then you'll fall for anything. You'll fall for what seems most attractive and appealing. You'll fall for the latest fads, fashions, and agenda, blowing which way the wind blows, and you'll be swept along headlong. I was speaking to Michael Jensen, our rector, trying to get ideas for the sermon. And one of his reflections is that though we live in a part of Sydney where many have been very successful... Many have built their lives, their status and careers and wealth and relationships. Uh, their lives have begun to unravel. These things have let them down. And maybe that's been your experience. Because the, the truth is, though these are good things, they are not a solid foundation to build your life upon. Because if you build your life upon anything other than the word of God then it will not last. It will be fleeting. It will unravel. And in the end, in the final reckoning, there will be a great gulf and chasm between the righteous who are rooted in God and stand before him and the wicked who have lived a life without any reference to God. For they will not be able to stand. And so my question to you is, what is it that you stand for? What is it that you seek to build your life upon? May it be the life-giving, nourishing word of God. May you be rooted in it, formed by it. For this is where true blessing lies. This is where true life is found. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.